So this is week four. Uh, week one, we talked about uh, the war on the family, just the constant barrage of attack on the family. Uh, so week two, we talked to the fathers about uh, what it means to be a father and lead. Week three, we did moms. We talked to ladies, really, Proverbs 31. Had a lot of comments from the ladies about that sermon from Proverbs 31. Thank you so much for all that. That was very kind. And today, I want to just completely eviscerate the teenagers. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Not really. We want to encourage the teenagers. Amen? How many of you have ever found it difficult to communicate with a teenager? Anybody? I have a teenager in the room right now. He's going to love me after this, but he heard it in the first service. And, and it's sometimes hard to communicate with him. How was your day? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, did you, did you learn something in school today? Yeah. Uh, uh. Well, I got two syllables. Don't know what they mean, but I got two, twice as much. The only time that it's just really clear comes out like this. Hey, dad, some of us are doing something. Can I have $25? That comes out really clearly. Yeah. Love you, bub. So we, we found a little, uh, just some fun. How many of you like fun? We found a little tutorial of how to communicate in the now vernacular of the Gen Z young people. So here's cool Carl to tell you how to talk to Gen Z people. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Carl. So it seems like every other week, the kiddos of Generation Z seem to come out with new slang terms that quite frankly confuse the rest of us older generations. So the goal today is to learn how to speak some of that Gen Z lingo. And joining me today on how to translate some phrases is our favorite spokesperson for the Gen Z kids, my cousin Brock. Say hello, Brock. Brock, say hello. Stop. All right, let's get started. You guys have the Wi-Fi password? All right, Brock. We're gonna start with some simple ones. Yeah. Okay. Hello. How are you? Saw. Friends. Fine. Family. Fine, John. It was a fun event. The fest was lit. Okay. Okay. I'm about to leave. I'm finna dip set. Those are some neat shoes. Them kicks are dripping. I would be glad to help, but. My favorite team lost. Dudes took an L. My favorite team lost very bad. Dudes got clapped. He seems upset. He little mad. He seems very upset. He big mad. I like this music. That's a bop. I'm not lying. No cap. I'm sorry that happened to you. Oof. That's an interesting statement. Weird flex, but okay. I'm not a fan of these appetizers. These apps are booty. I completely agree with that statement. Facts. I agree. Yeet yeet. Excuse me. Yeet. Wow, that's exciting news. Yeet. Congratulations on your baby boy. Yeet. What does yeet even mean? Yeet is yeet. That doesn't help. It's like when fam comes slipping in with their dripping swag, jumping to some sick bop. And no cap, you know these facts are about to be a litty fresh to death. You're like, oh, I'm not big mad at that bitty response. Yeet. I don't get it. Weird flex, but okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anybody else don't know? Yeah. Hey Amen. Well, a little fun there. 
Hey, listen, I want to direct you to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. Entitled this, uh, The World Has Lied to Our Teenagers. The world has lied to our teenagers about some things. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is interesting to me. Timothy is a very young man. He's Paul's protege. He has left him to pastor a very important church. He's very young. And Paul says, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. Now, we use the word despise to sort of mean hate. Really strong. Uh, I, I mean, I just, I despise. I mean, I don't know. How many of you like black coffee? I mean, that's the only way to drink coffee is black coffee. I despise black coffee. How many of you like dessert coffee? Yeah, I mean, it's like a cake put in a cup. You know, sugar and cream and I don't know, maybe it's got an egg in it. I don't know, but it's really good. That's the way I like coffee. I despise. I hate it. And that's the way we use the word. But that's not the way Paul is using the word. It sort of means that in English. In this case, in fact, Jesus uses the same word in Matthew 18.10. And you can see that it's not what he means when he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's talking about little kids. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of the Father who is in heaven. The way that Paul is using this word is, it's basically, it's it's to count of no importance. It really doesn't matter. It's insignificant. So Paul says to Timothy, listen, don't let anyone count you of no importance because you're young. Don't let anyone despise your youth. Don't let anyone think that you don't matter. Don't let anyone think that you're not impactful and that you can't do something. And then listen to what he says. Teenagers, I want you to listen to what Paul the Apostle said to this, just barely, we believe, non-teenager Timothy. He says, don't let anyone think that you're not important. But instead of that, you set set the believers, old as well as young, an example. You set them an example, teenagers. In speech, in how you talk, in the way you act, in your conduct, in how you love, in faith, and in your purity, set an example for the believers. Father, we ask you this morning that you would impact each young person, each family that has a teenager in their home, every grandparent of a teen, Father, anyone who brings influence to a young person's life, Lord, we pray that they would be an example, Father. They wouldn't just be of no consequence. Rather, they would be of profound consequence because of who they are. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word that we might in some way, Lord, insulate these young people from the lies that the world is telling them about who they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be. And that your truth, old truth, Father, biblical truth, since the foundation of the world, centuries old, millennium old, that has outlived generation after generation of mankind, and that all of those, Father, who have lived according to your truth have had better lives, happier marriages, better work, better health, better money, better emotions, better physical bodies, Lord, because they lived according to your word. Help us to see that today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, listen, young people, I want you to know that your teenage years do matter. Maybe not the way that you think they do, but they do. They are incredibly significant to your family, 
to this church, to the Lord's church, and to the world. Let me give you some real quick reasons why. First of all, you, you are never going to be as free to be involved in God's work as you are right now. How many of you grown-ups know that to be true? How many of you wished away your young life? I can't wait till I get to be grown. And now that you're grown, you're like, what was I thinking? Amen? Man, I can't wait till I have a job and I can make my own money. And then you get a job and you still don't have any money. All right? Because now you got to have a car and you got to put tires on it. You got to change the oil and you got to pay rent. You got to pay the electrical bill. And all of a sudden, responsibilities and the time constraints upon you make you realize that the very best time as far as having time was in your teen years. Say amen, all you old people. You're never going to be as free, teenagers, as you are right now to be involved in God's work. Secondly, you're never going to be as energetic as you are now. And I know that that's, oh, they, if, once I get them up and get them going, they're moving, but man, they are. But I want you to know, teenagers, you're never going to feel as good as you do right now. Let me say it differently. From here on out, it's all downhill. See this? I used to look like that. No, not you. That other kid. All right, that one that I'm kin to. All right. Actually, I did kind of look like that. I had that hair feathered back on both sides. It was so, and I used to do that all the time. It's your future, Hayden, right here, brother. All right. You're never going to be as energetic as you are right now. You've got energy to burn. I mean, give you a Snicker bar and a Mountain Dew, you go for two days. How many of you grown-ups know that? I mean, you remember when you used to stay up all night for fun? And now if you have to do it, you complain about it for a week. All right? Thirdly, teenager, you're setting patterns in your life right now that are going to endure throughout the rest of your life. The things that you're doing now, you're going to do for the rest of your life. The way you think, the way you behave, some of the things that you're embracing, those are going to hang on to you. Fourthly, and this is probably the most important, your peers are forming their belief systems right now as well. And statistics tell us that people are much more likely to accept Jesus before becoming an adult than they are afterwards. So young people, you are never going to have more influence on the whole generation of people and the ability to lead them to the Lord than you are right now. Your ability to speak into your friends' lives is never going to be as powerful as it is right now. You ask any teenager anywhere in the world who's the person that you talk to and you trust the most, almost never do you hear parents we're going to talk about that in a moment, but almost always do you hear I talk to my friends. You have the ability, teenagers, right now to shape a whole generation for the kingdom of God if you'll just understand it and begin to engage in it. However, and I want, we want you to understand this, I want you to understand this, and this is just introduction. Youth at its best is transitory. You're only going to be a teenager like five minutes and it's going to be over. I know it seems to you like, oh, I'm, never, I'm never going to get out of high school. I assure you that you are. All right? For me, it only took like 17 years to do it, but you will make it one day. All right? It's going to be over very quickly. Adults, if it happens like that, say amen. amen. Teenagers, it's going to happen so very quickly. It's transitory. I want you to know that today my goal is not, teenagers, to make every moment of your life happy. I don't even think it's supposed to be our job to raise happy, well-adjusted teenagers because it's so transitory. It changes monthly for you. 
Our goal is to raise up well-adjusted, happy adults. And so there's going to be a lot in your life that's going to be changing over the next few years. Adults, I want you to sit up and pay attention to this because even if you're long past being a teenager, maybe even if your teenagers now have teenagers, you still have influence as a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent upon teenagers around you. And there's some lies that the world is telling them that we're going to deal with this morning. We're going to look at the scriptures and see what the Lord would say. Now, teenagers and adults, I want you to know right off the bat that none of this is my opinion. I don't think that's really what you need. You need to hear what the creator of the universe has said. Somebody that made you, somebody that formed you, that knows how your emotions are made, knows how your heart is made, knows what your priorities are going to be someday long before you, before you leave this earth. And I also want to help you understand that those really, really ancient parents you have that are like a million years old, and it's been like 500,000 years since they were a teenager, and everything has changed. Everything. Nothing. They, I mean, they don't know anything about what it's like to be a teenage girl. I mean, it's just that different. I want you to know that's not true. That your mom, young ladies, she knows exactly what it feels like to be a teenage girl. And your dad, he knows exactly what it's like to be a teenage boy. And they're really not that far removed from it. But here's some lies, some things that the world has been telling you, and then some old biblical truths to help guide you into something that will just make your life better. Here we go. Four, four lies the world's been telling you. And grown-ups, we're going to deal with some grown-up stuff here, so hang on to your hats, all right? Number one, how you are feeling is unique to you and only your friends understand Nobody, nobody knows, nobody knows what this feels like. I know that you think that, but everybody that is still alive on the earth has been where you are right now. I know that the enemy wants to tell you that nobody's had it as hard and nobody, nobody's felt the heartbreak. Come on, how many of you ever had somebody break up with you? I haven't, but some of you have, I know. <laughs> no, I, it was like, oh, it's Friday. Let's see. Oh, I'm going to get dumped. Yeah, hello. Okay, yeah, I'll find him. Yeah, come on. How many have ever been, how many of you ever had your heart broken? Anybody ever? Come on, adults. I'm trying to teach these young people something. Who's ever had your heart broken? How many of you, when it happened, thought that you would never, ever get over it? I'm not ever, I'm never going to, I'm just not going to survive it. I'm going to, I'm going to become a nun. I'm going to be a priest. I hate all boys. I hate all girls. They're all... Come on, remember that? How about feeling confused or misunderstood or, and listen, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I'm concerned about is that th there's never been a time in the history of the world where the incidence of teen suicide is as high. And the lie that that comes in on is that nobody has ever felt this way. I'm never going to feel better and nobody understands how I feel. And young people, I want you to know that's a lie. There are people within arm's reach of you that know exactly how you feel. They know exactly what it is to be where you are and to have walked through what you're walking through. And you can talk to them. Listen to what the scripture says. Even, listen, even if you don't have parents that understand where you are or they've abandoned you in some way, I want you to listen to what Proverbs 24, 12 says. It says, God understands all hearts and he sees you. 
Come on, don't ever believe the lie that you are alone and that nobody cares about you and that nobody understands. There is somebody, even if it's not an adult, there is a father in heaven and he knows exactly, he knows exactly, he knows exactly what you feel. Why? Because he sees you. He knows exactly where you are. So don't ever believe the lie that you're alone and that nobody cares about you. Because not only does your heavenly father, if you look around this room right now, there's a room full of people that care about you. First John chapter three, let me give you another one. Sometimes your own emotions are going to betray you. Your own heart is going to tell you that you're not something or that you're less than something or that you should be something more or that nobody, here's the one that I get, nobody likes me. I want you to know that's a lie. If nobody else likes you, I like you. Hayden, I like you, buddy. He knows I do. Come on, all of you that like these kids, would you say amen? amen. Come on, I was so, I, I, I mean, come on. How about y'all like young adults too? We got a bunch of them in the room too. Amen. But listen to this. There are going to be moments when your very heart, your very emotions, who you are inside is going to betray you. Listen to what 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says. For whenever our heart condemns us, your own emotions, how you feel in a moment. You know, I feel like nobody likes me. I feel like there's no hope. I feel like there's no purpose. I feel like I don't matter. Your own emotions begin to cave in on you. First John 3.20 says that when that happens, God is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. He knows your value. He knows who you are. He knows your potential. You need to understand what he said about you. Don't listen to the lie that the world has told you that you have to be a certain height or a certain weight or a certain color or a certain educational level or drive a certain anything or dress a certain way. God has given you value because he loves you and his son died for you and he knows everything about you you don't listen to that lie that says you're not somebody amen when your own heart you and teenage hearts are incredibly deceptive you can't, you, you're going to change you're going to believe other things you're going to find new loves you're going to find new interests you're going to have a new start almost every month of your life you got a whole amazing future out ahead of you don't you believe the lie that your life is over at such a young age you're just getting started. Amen? So don't you believe any of that stuff that your own heart sometimes, and certainly not the world, tells you. Because how you're feeling isn't unique. Everyone's been through it. They got through it, and so will you. Let me just touch on this, too. The people that under... I know you may not get this, and you may not believe me in this, but the person best qualified to help you walk through the difficult circumstances of life is not your age. You need to talk to somebody old. I just want you, teenagers, I want you to think about this for a moment. Why? Because the people your age haven't been any further than you are down this trail. There is... They're as uneducated about what comes next as you are. They may be feeling exactly what you're feeling, but that doesn't equip them to help you to know what comes next. Find some old, wrinkled up, gnarly person like me. All right? Somebody born right after the Civil War. All right? And say, Grandma, Grandpa, Miss Trudy. Come on, Miss, Miss Dorothy, Miss Joe, Brother Joe. Come on, old people like Joe Roth. All right? 
and say, this is how I'm feeling. What happens next to me? I know how hard that is. And they're going to tell you, oh, sweetie, I've been right there. You've got a whole wonderful thing coming that you can't see yet. That's the truth. Amen? So don't believe the lie of the world about you being unique in your feelings. Other people have been there. Number two, how about this one? Position, titles, fame, and money and image will make you happy. Listen, if you get enough position, you get the right position, you get the right title, everybody begins to know your name and fame begins to be amassed to you and you get enough money that you can shape your image, drive the right thing, wear the right thing, be the right thing, you will suddenly be happy. I want you to know that's a lie. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? First of all, I know it based on the word of God. Listen to what Psalm chapter 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He doesn't say he'll give you everything you want. He'll give you what makes your heart delight. You'll find contentment and peace and happiness and joy. Listen to Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the, listen to this, the path of life. I love that. Not the path of death. Not the path of this world. The path that brings life. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, the world says that pleasure's somewhere else and that joy happens in some other way. It's all about money or it's all about image or it's all about fame. And listen, there is nothing wrong with succeeding, growing in position or in title. And there might even be a day when more people will know who you are and you will, I assure you, one day have more money than you have right now, teenagers. And it'll be your money, not your dad's. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. And I'm looking forward to that day. But listen, all of that comes if you walk in this old truth that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then position and title and fame and money and image, he'll give to you behind that as long as you keep him first. And you do those things for his glory and not yours and not the world's. You gotta keep the Lord first. You gotta keep him in the position where those things don't rule over you. You rule over them. You'll find joy and peace and happiness and relationships and love and home and family and security. As you put the Lord first, those things will come. And when they do, they'll bring you satisfaction. And they'll leave you healthy. And they'll leave you stronger. And each year, you'll love the person you're with more. And each day of your life, you will grow in authority and in position and in, in a different kind of image, but in an image. And it'll be wholesome. It'll be good. It'll be powerful because you put the Lord first. Amen? Hmm. Ready for the deep water, grown-ups? Here we go. Number three. Here's a lie. The best, most important thing in the whole world is having sex. Go ahead. Let it out. <laughs> All right. That's, the world, that's what the world is telling you, young people. That the most important. We got grown-ups in the room that are no more grown-up than some of the teenagers in regards to this. You still think that, that, there's, that all fulfillment. This world seems to think that all fulfillment, that all fulfillment. 
all happiness is all about pursuing sexual gratification. Teenagers, I want you to know that that's a lie. Now, first of all, let me say this. God made sex. And he was in a nifty mood that day. (laughs) Come on, say amen. Amen. But there is a prescription in God's word for where those things are supposed to be satisfied and how we're supposed to act in, in, in reference to that. And if we follow in God's way, we'll end up fulfilled, we'll end up satisfied, we'll end up joyous, we'll end up happy, we'll end up uh, mature and growing in strength. And if we don't, if we follow the world's prescription, now listen to me, young people, you're going to end up a burned out shell, emotionally giving a little piece of yourself away every time. And there's going to come a moment where you're going to be empty and dead inside. I've seen it thousands of times where people follow the world's prescription purely in the nature of sexual things and they end up at the place unsatisfied, unhappy, empty inside and there's a part of them that they lose and they never get it back. How do you, how do you follow God's prescription? Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says. Everybody listening? Teenagers, have I got your attention? Listen. Pastor Roy's just trying to get you to a place where you'll be, I mean, just happy forever. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Now listen, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now before I go any further, I know there's people in the room and nobody told you this. Or even if they did, you didn't follow this prescription. There's no condemnation in this room today. You hear me? Just grace. But I don't, I don't want our teenagers to follow that example. I want them to live the way God has called us to live. Amen? Amen. Why? Because, because we're all stick in the muds? <laughs> no. And I'm going to be in so much trouble right after this. All right, but I'm 56 years old, and I'm crazy about my wife. <laughs> all right? We are... We are, well, anyway, moving right on, all right? She had to be sitting right there today. Couldn't you have been like back there where you normally? She steps out of the shower, I grab her. Thank you very much. All right? I intend to do so till I die. Why? Because that's a, that's a normal part of how God created male and female to be. There is an attraction put in them given by God. The world didn't create that. God created that. And he knows best how to bring you to a place where that is a fulfilled, satisfying thing filled with love and goodness and purity and light. It's not dark. It's not ugly. It's not hidden. It's a normal part of how God created you to be. But outside the confines of marriage, we defile something. Does that mean you can't go to heaven? No. But we ought to teach the right thing. Say amen. Amen. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. What does that mean? Don't bring anybody else into it. That that marriage bed, the sexuality of believers is designed for one man and one woman and they come together for life. And you say, well, don't I have to like try people out to see if we're compatible? What if they don't make me happy? What if, what if they don't do what I want? That's the world's message to our teenagers. Now listen to me, teenagers. Old, 100-year-old Pastor Roy, 
when you fall in love with somebody and they're the person that God has brought for your life, it'll quit being about you as much and it'll start being about them. And their emotions won't be directed towards their self primarily. It'll be directed towards you. One person, the husband will put himself aside for his wife. The wife will put herself aside for her husband. And they will be a blessing to each other. And that's what God's created to be. Amen? And it'll be wildly wonderful. Woo! Like that. Sorry, sweetie. (laughs) Hey. We didn't adopt them kids. All right? All right? I told her when we married, and I meant it. Remember, I said, look, I don't care how old we get. You're not sleeping in another bed. I'm sleeping in here with you. Why? Because I like being close to her. I like the... Just Last night, she's asleep before I got in there. I'm going back in there. I pulled her arm, pulled it around me. I said, ah, now we're good. All right? She's like... All right? All right? Hey! I love being married. Amen? Teenagers, wait. Wait till you find that person. Amen? That's God's plan. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because, it's, because God doesn't like... No, no, listen. Because he knows how you're made. Listen, every other sin in a person commits... Every other, person, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What does that mean? It means that there's something that you do to who you are every time you stray outside of God's plan. You lose something that you can't get back. And that's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be blessed. He knows how you're made. He wants you to find that one that your heart and your soul loves. Then get busy. Excuse me. Within the confines of what God planned. Say amen. Amen. Had to make it a little light. 1 Thessalonians 4, one more. Verses 3, 4, and 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Gentiles, in this case, means those that don't know the Lord. We're called to be something different. Amen? Let me give you one more. Lies the world's told to our teenagers. Finish up with this one. More is better than less. You say, Pastor, more what? It doesn't matter. The world says more is better. More money, more cars, more boats, more houses. I've got square feet. I need 1,500. I've got, a, I've got a, a three-year-old car. I need a brand new car. I've got a 12-foot boat. I need a 15-foot boat. I've got, a, I've got one house. We need two houses. I've got, come on, you know what I'm talking about? It's never enough. More, more, more. Amass more. Get more. Have more things. Measure your value by what you have compared to what other people has. And if you have more, you're better. In, in what way? Whatever way. You'll feel better. People will love you more. People will want to be around you more if you have more, if you have better, if you have... Listen, that's a lie. I can't tell you how many times I have known people that could buy me 10 times. I mean, they had, you know, they had two commas. You know, two commas, right? I just have one comma. Sometimes. All right? How many of you know no commas? I know no commas, too. All right? But two comma. 
homes and lands and rental houses and properties and more money than people could spend in a lifetime and some of the most bitter, empty, angry shells of people I've ever met. No joy. that Nothing they have brings them any joy. And it's this constant more, more. They become like these little, these little hermit crabs. You know, just more, more. Just need more. No joy, no blessing, no, no peace, no rest, no satisfaction in anything. And they've got stuff everywhere and not a moment of peace or rest in their life. Their whole life consumed with what somebody took or what I lost or what somebody's doing to take something from me. And I'm like, dude, you couldn't give it away. If you started now before you die, you couldn't get rid of all of it. And not a minute's joy. Marriage doesn't have any joy. Kids around, their kids don't even like to be around them. They're so miserable. I'm thinking of real people here. If I were to ask my wife, she knows exactly who I'm talking about. Not a minute's joy. They bought into this lie that more is about what defines them. But listen, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Listen to what the old truth, old gospel, old word of God says. Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. If that's what you love. I love a thing that happened, I've told it to you before, but some of you haven't heard it. Several years ago, you guys remember when the, whatever, the Powerball, Megaball, whatever that one is, got up to like $900 million. It was almost a billion. Y'all remember that? And there was, a, they, USA Today re-ran an article by Mark, Mark Cuban, who is a billionaire, and they asked him, what should somebody do if they win this? My first thought was pay tithe. But anyway, <laughs> all right? And Lord, let some of my people buy tickets. No, all right? He said, listen, he said a bunch of things about what they should do with accountants and stuff. But then he said this, and I thought, my goodness, what, what, what wisdom, biblical wisdom from a person who doesn't even know the Bible. And he said, look, he said, if you weren't happy before you won all this money, he said, you're not going to be happy after you win it either. This is from a billionaire, owns the Dallas Mavericks. And then he said, but, (laughs) good news is, if you were happy before you won it, you're going to be really happy now. (laughs) What does that mean? Find your satisfaction, your joy, your peace in something that cannot be taken, something that will not be lost by you. Find that in the Lord, and then all of the good things that he, those won't own you, you'll own them. Let me give you one more. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard. Against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not about what you have. It's about who has you. I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts about a few biblical figures. Daniel. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were taken into captivity in Babylonian, if the practice was, with, was done like they normally do it, those were literally boys when they were taken. They probably weren't even teenagers yet. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were probably preteens. When they stood up to Nebuchadnezzar and said, look, you can throw us in the fiery furnace, we will not bow, they are almost certainly either late teens and at best early 20s when that happens. 
Teenagers, you can touch the whole world if you want to. You can set an example for believers in all kinds of ways. David walks up to take food to his brothers. There's this great big huge guy shouting insults, curses at the God of the Israelites. David grows incensed. He goes angry and he says, why is nobody killing this guy? I love that. Somebody, somebody kill this. I'll go kill him. And his brothers say, listen, you little punk. It's a Rhodes translation, all right? Where's that handful of sheep our father gave you? Why don't you go back and take care of them? You two, leave this to the men. And he says, listen, I killed the lion and I killed the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will just be like one of them. He knows who he is even as a, he's a teenager when that happens. He's a little kid still. He's a young teenager. And he goes before the king and the king tries to put his armor on him. He says, look, I can't wear that. I got to be me. I got to be who the Lord created me to be. And you know the rest of that story. The Lord empowers David to slay Goliath and it sets in, listen, he obeyed God and then his image and his title and his reputation and his position and his wealth was made in that day. Why? Because he sought first the kingdom of God. He didn't do it in his own strength. He didn't listen to other people. He loved the Lord. He was a man after God's heart. That's how he became king. Samuel is just a little, little young boy. Just weaned from his mother when she drops him off at the temple to serve the Lord. Josiah changed the course of a whole nation before he hits 20. Your teen years matter. But don't buy into the lies that the enemy's telling you about who you're supposed to be. Determine right now to serve the Lord and to make a difference in this world. And God will use you to do things no one else can do. Otis, would you come back? Father, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would create something in the heart of each of these teenagers, Lord. Powerful. Powerful, Lord. Love for you. Love for your kingdom. Love for your people. Love for their parents. Respect for their grandparents, Lord. Respect above them, Lord. I pray you'd teach them that rebellion is abnormal. Everybody tries to lie to them and say, well, all teenagers rebel. No, you don't have to do that. You can be a God-fearing, honoring the elders above you, young person. Lord, let their hearts be yours. Let them have such respect for those that you've put in authority over them. Teenagers, would you do something for me? I'm not trying to embarrass you. You know I love you. I know so many of you, but some of them I don't know. Teenagers, would you stand up for me? Come on, you guys right here. All of you I know, stand up and lead the way. And would you join me? Come on down here. Every teen in the room. Come on, Roger, show them where, where to, how to get down here, bub. Man, look at a lot of them in here. When they stand up, you start seeing them in it. Woo! Awesome. Man, look at that. Y'all didn't know there was out there among you, did you? We got to get busy. They're going to outnumber us here soon, adults, and take over this place. Hey, guys, shift down this way a little bit. You're two or three deep. Man, isn't this, isn't this exciting? Church, this is our future. Amen.
Now, while I got them here so that you can see them adults, let me tell you something that we're very intentionally doing. And some of you may not like it. Growing up, some of you think we need to, we need to create a church that these guys like coming to. Amen. Now, do you know what that means? It means that we can't do stuff that 65-year-olds like all the time. I know that's kind of a nervous laugh. <laughs> really? You have to grow a church young intentionally. Here, wait a minute, listen. Because it gets old all by itself. You know it? Ten years from now, we'll be ten years older. And if we don't catch this generation, we'll, we'll slowly decline. And churches all over, the, all over the United States are doing just that. They're dying. And they're doing so because they're not trying to reach younger people. Young adults, teenagers, families with small kids. That, that happens over and over because older people start demanding what they like. And pastors get put under the pressure to do what older people like. I just want you to look at them. And the next time you say, Pastor, why can't we do older kind of music? I want you to remember why. You say, well, Pastor, that's being kind of in our, that's kind of up in my, yes, it is. Young people, do you know that these older people pay the bills? You do know that, right? You know they're not digging that money up in the yard, right? Okay. So I need you to be respectful and engaged and participating in the things of the Lord so that they'll see in your example exuberance and zeal and they'll remember what it means to be excited about the things of the Lord. Every church I've ever been in, you know who the real worshipers were? They were the young people. Yeah. And then that gets the old old people like me stirred up. And that's the way churches grow. Okay? Here's what I want us to do. Adults, and I didn't ask these kids for permission to do so, but would you stand with me? Can we just cry around them? If you have one up here, find yours. And if you don't have one up here, find somebody else's. And we're going to pray that the lies of the world wouldn't touch kids. And that they would be, that they would just be so in love with the Lord and so in love with his kingdom and so in love with the things of God that they would, I mean, from now until Jesus calls them home someday, have their affections and their heart set on him. Can you say amen to that? Because they matter, church. They matter right now. They matter. They're not going to matter someday. They're not the future church. They're the church right now. Amen. Come on, adults. That's weak. Amen. Amen. Father, we ask you right now, Lord, to pour out your anointing upon these young people. They are our greatest treasure. They're our greatest treasure, Father. Lord, the world is so after them, after their minds, after the way they think, after their perceptions, after their time, after their talent. It's after their hearts, after their relationships. It's after their health, Father. It wants, oh Lord, to wrap them up in it. Lord, I pray right now that every one of them, Father, would feel your love in such a powerful way, Lord. I don't want them to have their mom or dad's faith. I want them to increase beyond their mom or dad's faith. I don't want them to know you as their grandparents knew you. I want them to be like Elisha was to Elijah, double portion. 
that they would know you twice as much as their mom and dad, twice as much as their grandparents, and that they would be twice as committed and twice as in love and twice as enthralled by your word and your kingdom. Now, Holy Spirit, we'll do our best to set an example, but it's you that draws them close to the Father. And so I pray, Lord, for each one of them right now, that no matter where they are, no matter who their moms and dads were, because some of them don't have good examples in their moms and dads, Lord. We have a number of kids at this altar right now, Father, and they come here, Lord, and their moms and dads don't. I know exactly what that feels like, Lord. I pray that they would be so so wrapped up in your love, Lord. That when the enemy tells them that they don't matter, that if they were something better, their parents would have stuck around or been something better, Father, giving them a regular childhood, that in that moment, Father, your love and the body of Christ would so envelop them that they would know of their great worth, oh, Lord, and their great ability to touch this world for you. And let them always know that right here in this place, Lord, They are loved. They are cherished. They bring great delight to us. It thrills our heart when we see them. They raise this whole place just by being here. Help them feel that and know that and never doubt it. Bless them, Lord. Bless them to know and to follow you all the days of their life. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, adults. Let's thank the Lord for these teenagers. Now, while I got all of you here, all of you teenagers, there's another service that's way cooler than this one. It's on Wednesday nights. So, yeah. Just calm down there, sister, all right? And I'm just telling you, Wednesday nights is when the teenagers, I mean, they they get their, I don't know, I don't even know the language. They what? They tee up. They tee up. up. See, anybody, I need a translator. Can somebody come up? Dwayne, you're hipper than me. Can you, no, you can't translate that stuff either. You want to come tell them about it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, she's cooler than you are, Jason. Well, just take Otis's mic. Sure, that's fine. Hi, guys. You should come. Hey, guys, this is Kirsten. Hi, guys. Kirsten is a intern who is a pain in... No, she is a wonderful... (laughs) We love her. No, she is. She is a incredible. So tell them. Tell these guys about Wednesday night. Hi, guys. So on Wednesdays, we have youth group, and it's super cool. I don't know if you've been upstairs, but we have a really cool loft. Um, We do, like, frappuccinos and lattes. Um, Jason even got s'mores flavor, so that's, like, pretty good. But, um, no, worship's a really good time. We play games, so we open, like, at 6 o'clock. And so many people get here at, like, 2 o'clock because we just party all day. Sometimes we go to Walmart, and it's pretty fun. But You sound like you're 100 years old. You know what? Going to Walmart's a party. (laughs) Woo! Stop. Okay, but we would love to see you here. Um, Yeah. And if you have any questions, or if you're a parent, you can talk to me. And some of you young people, we got a lot. Becca and Jason, come up here. Here's our youth pastor and wife. Woo! Woo! You want a mic? 
So we want you to come on Wednesday nights, seven o'clock, hang out, have a great time, go up into the loft. I'm not done. You're not done? No. I, I know that like we just prayed like this really sweet prayer with like this beautiful piano music. But how many know that we had a powerful service this morning? Amen. And those of you that have students in your lives, maybe some of you feel disconnected from this group of people up here, but they struggle sometimes. And um, the things that the devil whispers in their ears, it is real. Maybe if you knew the things that some of them carry every day. And so if we could, as adults, um, I'm not going to do it because I like to sing, but... If someone, um, and I can do it if, if God's telling me to, but can we pray over these students? Because there is a spiritual battle for their minds. And that's what he preached, but that's not enough. Like, we need to show them how to raise their voices and say, enough is enough. And these are, these are the Lord's children. Yeah. Can we do that together? <laughs> Father, right now, we come before yes. you, Father. We lift these students up to you right now, Jesus. Lord, we take them by force today, Father. You were, you were hung on the cross and died for them, Father. And so Lord, we ask right now, Jesus, that the, the devil would have no foothold in their life, that the, the enemy would not lie to them, Father, that they wouldn't listen to those lies, Father, that they would see you as the truth. Father, when they line themselves up with this world, it will never fit. But when they line themselves up with you, Father, it will every single time. And so, Lord, we ask and we fight. We battle over these students today, Father. Over the mental battle, over the spiritual battle that goes on, Father. That tells them that they're not enough. That they'll never amount to enough. That they're not pretty enough. That they're not whatever enough. Father, we come against that today in the name of Jesus. They are beautiful and they are worthy the way that they are today, God. Lord, I pray that they would believe that, God. Lord, I pray that they would have such a passion for you, Jesus, that it goes the rest of their life, Father, that they look back on their life and they go, oh my goodness, I would have never thought that that would have happened. Father, help them to, help them to know, Father, that it's in their weaknesses that you are made strong today, God. And Lord, I pray when they lay their, hello, their, pillow, their head down on their pillow at night, Father, that they would have peace, yes. that they would have joy, that they would have no anxiety, no fear, no insecurities, God. And Lord, that they would be able to sleep peacefully, Father. We thank you for these students, Father. I pray, Lord, that me as a youth pastor in this church would not take them for granted. Yes. That we would not just uh, squander it away because they're young, Father, but that we would be good stewards over it today, God. They would be drawn to you because we're so close to you, Father. We thank you. We praise you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One more time, guys. Give it up for these teens. Woo! Amen, amen. Guys, God bless you. We'll be back here online at 5 tonight for prayer uh, or in the room. You can join us live in the room. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful afternoon.